near the end of his earthly ministry, at what seemed like its most glorious moment, the light of Christ clearly illuminated one group, allowing them to shine, and clearly exposed another, making the blackness of their hearts manifest. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the other large crowd went out to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Uh, you are gaining nothing? <laughs> you know, what are they trying to gain? What effort of theirs was frustrated. At the Feast of Dedication, which we last considered, Jesus made it clear that he was and is God manifest. The rejection of these words by the Pharisees and the other Jewish religious leaders was virulent, exceedingly bitter and antagonistic. And they demanded that Jesus give them a sign to support his words. Because then they'd believe. Right? <laughs> well, of course, when he did, well, you know. But many people rejoiced at those words and believed in Jesus, so they also rejoiced at the sign. Because the story of Lazarus strengthens the faith of those who believe and forces everyone to decide whether to believe or not. It is the sharper focus into which these Reactions come when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb that we want to consider today. People's true nature will be exposed because the very presence of Christ forces people into one of two camps. Now as we read through this entire story, we're going to read the whole thing this morning. Before we go back and consider some of the contrast, you know, maybe you would just simply like to listen <laughs> You can read along if you want. It'll be on the screen. You can look it up in your Bibles, John 11. But maybe you'd even close your eyes and imagine yourself on the dusty roads of Israel and perhaps picture yourself as one of those standing by Jesus as this story unfolds. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. What a story. It ends with that interesting truth that they meant for evil, <laughs> but God meant for good. We're going to talk a lot about 
the contrast in this story. That's our focus today. In verse 9 of that chapter, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The contrast of day and night, light and darkness. This is what Jesus wants to get at. But he starts with that interesting expression, Are there not twelve hours in the day? In other words, there's a limited time to do work for each of us. Jesus was on this earth a limited time. Any human being, perfect like Jesus or like the rest of us, (laughs) has a limited amount of time. We have to be aware of that and we have to be aware that we are in the day. I love the expression, they're walking in the day, but they stumble because the light is not in them. Not that they are in the dark, but that the light is not in them. Does not Jesus say this beautifully? Is it not? (laughs) Well, let's look at the contrast in people. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? He says you have love on the one hand and you have accusation on the other. (laughs) What are they doing? Well, they're accusing Jesus. They're accusing Him of not using His ability to do magic. (laughs) That's, I'm sure, how they thought of it. Come on, pull the trick out. Keep this guy alive. What's the deal here? So, they're saying, Jesus, either you don't have compassion or you don't have power. Which is it? What's the deal? Wow, that's kind of rough. How can there be a good God who is all-powerful and there be evil in the world. How do you correlate those two? Now the truth is, of course, everybody has to answer the question of evil. I like that atheists have to say this, there is no such thing as evil. It's just an inconvenience for you or for me. And let's face it, if the thief comes up and you have money and he says, oh, that looks good, bang, you're dead, give me your money. That's not inconvenient for him. (laughs) Is it evil? How do you decide what's evil? Did God create sentient beings, beings who can communicate on not just on an even and on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level? Is that true or not? Did God create sentient beings? Because if He did, and people can honestly love or not love, then you have free moral agency. That's the technical term for it. You have free will is the common term. You have have the ability to determine your relationship to God. Therefore, God must allow people to do what some will do. Some will choose to accuse and some will choose to love. I like that when the sign actually occurs, they've seen him heal the blind man, now they see him raise a man from the dead. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Was there anybody that didn't know the Pharisees were trying to kill him? I don't think so. They all knew. How could somebody see? How could they see this miracle? The man raises somebody from the dead and you're going to go tell the Pharisees? Why? Well, Because the light is not in them. They don't get it. They stumbled because the light's not in them. So some believed and some 
betrayed. They betrayed Jesus to the Pharisees. So let's talk about the Pharisees who were also the priests. Uh, And even here there's a sort of a contrast that's interesting. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. (laughs) I love that they admit that. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, that's interesting. They recognize that too. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What are they worried about? Their place. (laughs) They got a cushy place. (laughs) They got a great job. They're in a wonderful place as far as they can see. And they know that Rome's powerful. Remember we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes last week and how he came in, but he had to he had to leave Egypt because Rome said no already. Rome would have been that that was 150 years earlier, and Rome was much more powerful now. They knew if Rome wanted to crush somebody, Rome was going to crush somebody. Well, except couldn't God take care of that? Didn't he get Israel as slaves out of Egypt? Didn't he Come on guys? Why can't we trust God here? He can protect you. He can protect the nation, right? Or is it that God wasn't even really a part of their consciousness? <laughs> he wasn't even there. There's no light in them. They, they don't see it at all. They didn't even think about God. They didn't even wonder about God because they don't know God. He's not even there. They certainly didn't have faith in Jesus, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So you have a bunch of priests questioning Jesus. Should we really trust this guy? What should we do? We've got to do something about this guy. You move all the way to premeditated murder. That's Caiaphas' option. Premeditated murder. Let's kill this guy. Because that way we can keep our jobs. That way we can make sure the nation where we have our jobs is intact. That's his proposal. Ah, uh, <laughs> does nobody see a problem with this? I think it's interesting that Thomas inspired the other disciples. We'll look at it in a second. Caiaphas incited the other leaders. He incited them to murder. And they were drug along with him. Because they don't have any light in them. Stumble. Speaking of Thomas, let's look at this whole thing about believers. So the sisters said to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Mary and Martha. By the way, they both said exactly the same thing. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his seat, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both started from the same spot when they talked to Jesus. And understand, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loves these people. And remember, love from God, biblical love, is about doing. I mean, yes, there's the feeling, but but it's first about doing the right things. Jesus is doing the right things for these people. He loves them. So he waits, he comes to them. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm confused. How come Martha goes but Mary doesn't? 
We don't actually know. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know why. But it does sound like she chooses to stay there. She doesn't go to Jesus right away. Is she starting to question Jesus? Is she starting to say, come on, how come you didn't come? We sent for you and you didn't come. What's going on? Maybe only Martha knew. I mean, it is possible that Mary just didn't know that Martha heard about it, but Mary didn't. It's confusing time. You know, the wake after the funeral, they had week-long funerals. They had Maybe maybe they just weren't together and she heard about it. We don't know, but it does kind of make you wonder. Besides, look at verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Uh, how come nobody went when Martha left? How, how come nobody followed Martha out? Again, a very strange thing. I think it may simply be that Mary is almost the focal point. Have you seen that where one person becomes the focal point and people kind of forget everybody else? Maybe Mary was more expressive. Maybe she was closer to Lazarus. Maybe she was... I don't know. Maybe the people knew Mary better. Uh, We know from other stories of Mary and Martha that Martha was kind of the... uh, the background working person who did the stuff, she did all the work. And Mary sat and listened at Jesus' feet. Martha got told, no, Mary did the right thing. Maybe it's just that Martha was so busy that people kind of didn't watch her. I don't know. But we need to be aware. Why, why do people see Mary and they don't see Martha? Why do people notice some Christians and not others? Is it just who we were made? Or is it something we do? worth thinking about. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. (laughs) you got to love Martha. She's very practical. And she couldn't believe. Not yet. Not all the way. Not yet. She, She wasn't quite there. But you do also wonder... Was she overrun by the circumstances? And okay, like we, we've spoken before, did she let the circumstances overrun her and forget to see God? Like Peter walking on the water. How could you be walking on the water and suddenly wonder, can I walk on the water? You're already there. Of course you can walk on the water. Why are you wondering now? <laughs> Maybe that's where Martha is. Maybe she just saw Lazarus dead. She remembered the weeping She She knew the pain. Maybe she couldn't see past it. I like that earlier, she went and called her sister Mary. After Jesus said, after her great confession, she went and called Mary. Saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to meet him. Wait a minute. (laughs) When did Jesus say, go get Mary for me? Okay, maybe he did. Maybe we don't have the whole conversation. But I think not. I think when she understood the truth, when she began to grasp what she was saying, (laughs) she was repeating what she knew to be true. But I think she realized, I don't really get this. Mary's the one who gets this stuff. Mary understands these things. 
I'm going to go get Mary. <laughs> I'm going to get the one who understands Christ and I'm going to bring her into this picture. So maybe I'll understand where I, I think that's what's going on. I don't know. But I think the truths that she was gathering is what called Mary. She knew that Jesus needed Mary there too. And that Mary needed to be with Jesus too. Maybe it was just that Mary did refuse to go see Jesus. She didn't trust him anymore. She wasn't sure. She didn't know what to think. And so she had stayed behind. And so maybe Martha just realized Mary needs to be here. Maybe Martha was the one supporting Mary here. I don't know. It's amazing that the Scripture doesn't tell us. Certainly worth considering. But mostly with Martha, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to miss what she said. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She got that part. But did she realize Jesus is God in human form? In other words, does God equal Father? Or what? What is she getting? Does she understand it yet? What does she mean by that statement? Well, certainly by the end of that conversation, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. We've talked many times, sons must be of the same nature as their father. It's the only way it works. (laughs) She must have recognized, at least in some sense, that Jesus was God. Somehow she got there. She could believe in Him even though she couldn't quite accept the truth that He could raise Lazarus from the dead then, right then, right now. She could nevertheless believe in Christ. That helps me because a lot of times I believe, but I'm like the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. (laughs) I really do believe, but I just can't believe that. Maybe we're all like that. And think of what Jesus did to help people believe. In fact, not only did Jesus do a bunch of things to help people believe, but really almost everything he did was about helping people to believe. Then Jesus told them plainly, his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Huh. Jesus waited to heal Lazarus so his disciples could believe. And when he actually did it, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. We often talk about how Jesus came to save us, and he did. He he came to save us all from our own sins. He came to rescue us from this world. That is all true. But he also came to teach us, teach all people, including us, how to believe. How do you believe? Lord, I believe. (laughs) Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you're the Christ. What about my brother? We need more help. And that's part of why Jesus came. So that we could learn how to believe. And by the way, Jesus will force you to believe. He will force believers to believe and to learn how to believe. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed 
two days longer in the place where he was, which was many days away from them. He purposefully, consciously stayed so that Lazarus would die. So in a sense, he wanted Lazarus to die. Ah. (laughs) Why? To force them to believe. To force them to learn who he was. To bring a situation about where they could see who he was. Pretty tremendous pain. I mean, we've all had probably by now, I'm sure in our lives, we've all had people die. It's not comfortable. It's been some years since my parents died. It's a pretty rare day when I don't think about it. My older brother who died before that, I still think about it. You've done that. You all have done that. Dying and seeing people die. My suspicion it's easier to die than to think of people dying, but that's hard. And yet, Jesus didn't just let it happen. He, he stopped so that it would happen. He allowed Satan's attacks, if you will, to continue on purpose. Why? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The whole point of this story in the Bible, the whole reason that it's here is that question. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe in Him and know that you will not die and even if you die physically, you'll live again? Do you believe this? He's saying, okay, somebody might might experience physical death. Lazarus did. Matter of fact, he did twice. (laughs) I think that's kind of a bum deal, but (laughs) twice that guy died. I don't think he was very worried the second time. (laughs) I really don't think he had any concerns at all. But he never experienced spiritual death. Once he was brought to life, once the light was in him, he could see. He didn't have to worry anymore. He's a done deal. Part of the point here is Jesus' kingdom is spiritual at its heart. The very point is the spiritual world, which of course, we exist within, is much greater than the world that we live in, the physical world. It's a much greater world. And that greater world holds Jesus' kingdom. That's the first point. matter of fact, this world is all going away. Everything here is getting burned up. Everything's going away. Everything. He's going to make a new one because this one's not good enough for what we're going to be. We need a new one. So all of this physical is not the deal. We might die physically, but you'll never Die spiritually if you believe. The writer to the Hebrews wrote, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Those who believe see. (laughs) They see this truth. Everybody else is walking around in the dark of the night. They do not have the light in them. Question. If the raising of Lazarus caused such a huge division, what will the resurrection of Christ do? 
Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wow. You got the two parts of that camp over there. They want a sign. Okay. He does many signs. They admitted it themselves. What did it do? Still didn't have the light in them. And the Greeks were, we got to think this out. We got to figure this out on our own. If we can't figure it out on our own, it can't be. I mean, these guys are all from Missouri. If we can't, you know, we don't believe it unless we see it. What's wrong with these people? They have those, those ideas in mind. This morning, Anita was talking about the things she saw in the History Channel. Now, not only are they saying that life was seeded here from some other planet, but now that's where all our sicknesses, all our illnesses come from. It all came from other planets. They actually themselves called it the LGM theory for a long time. LGM stands for Little Green Men. It's a joke in there, but, but they're serious. Life came from some other planet. Well, why do you say that? Well, because it can't occur here on this earth. We figured that out. So it has to come from another planet. How did it start on the other planet? Well, we don't know. But obviously it must have because there's life here, right? Well, no, logically that's, <laughs> that's just only one possible answer. It is a possible logical answer. It's not really very good scientifically, but it's, it's possible logically. It's not possible spiritually or scripturally at all. But, okay, but come on. All you're doing is putting off the problem. All the diseases came from someplace else. Well, how did they get... <laughs> And I'm sorry, you're going through empty space. Do you remember about, uh, let's see, every NASA comes up for money on Congress every two years, I think it is. So every two years, NASA has a great discovery. You just watch. Whenever NASA comes up with a bunch of stuff that goes in the news, you know that their budget's just coming up in Congress every time. And about three or four of those ago, I can't remember what, there was a big deal where they found the seeds of life from Mars in the ice in Antarctica. So here's the story. Two billion years ago, this huge asteroid hit Mars so hard with such enormous force that a piece of Mars was blown off into space. For two billion years, it wandered around space being radiated by the sun, being peppered by micrometeorites. All this happening for two billion years, right? Then it finally got into Earth's orbit and finally was captured by Earth and came screaming through Earth's atmosphere and shrunk from probably 30 to 40 feet around down to about 8 inches around, melted that far down, slammed into the ice of Antarctica and was frozen within a few moments by that ice. But that rock, when they pulled it out, they were able to determine that it had once contained the, the building blocks of life. Right. As soon as they got their funding, that whole story disappeared. I don't know if you've noticed that. Every few years, because they have no light in them. And they've got to have an answer. Life came from someplace, and scientifically, it's impossible for it to have occurred on Earth. It's, it's absolutely, categorically impossible. It's been beat up. Creationists have beat it up to the point where they finally, the guys have finally given up trying to defend it. So, they're moving all to the LGM theory. Life came from someplace else. How can people say such crazy things? Because they don't have light in them. It's folly to them. How come a guy dying on a cross can save you? That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, it wouldn't if you can't see. But if you can see, 
You understand that he can die for our sins because he was perfect. He was sinless. And he could take our sins on himself. Especially since he's God and he's man. Foolishness to them. The point in the scripture in Corinthians, the death Jesus tasted, the death that saved us, was really the spiritual death. The physical death was necessary because he's a man, he's a human. He has to die physically in order to experience anything. But it was the spiritual death, the rejection of the Son in human form by the Father. That's the point. Jesus died spiritually for us. We never have to die spiritually, ever. One day we'll get a new body like His glorified body and we never have to die physically either, but we don't have to die spiritually ever. Another interesting point. Jesus made them take away the stone. Have you looked carefully at the miracles that Jesus did? Almost always. I think there's like two exceptions where we just don't know if he did. And almost everyone, the people are required to do something. Usually Jesus asks them directly to do something. Sometimes they realize they have to do something. They have to do, they have to be involved. Why does Jesus do that? Because it's not like we're going to contribute some kind of power to this. It's not like we have some kind of capability. It's got to come from God. So why does he ask people to do things? Well, I think it's necessary for belief to grow. How did Martha learn? She said, okay, I know he's going to stink. Take the stone away, guys. Come on. I know I paid you to put it there. I paid you to seal it up. Unseal it. Move the stone. Do what he says. She did it. And she got her brother back alive. Of course, that makes us wonder, what is Jesus asking of us? Hmm. I'm guessing you're going to have to figure that out for yourself because I, I don't think any of us has the same thing. But this much we do know. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus of Christ. Are you worthy of the good news of Christ? Let your life be worthy of the good news of Christ. I don't know about you, but that scares me a little. Quite frankly. I mean, there's no way I'm that worthy. (laughs) But maybe enough to bring the good news of Christ out. Maybe I can live that well. Here's the really scary one. The very presence of Christ caused people to go one way or the other. Either they believed or they betrayed him. Either they they believed him or they wanted to kill him. Either they believed right? Now we're supposed to be Christ on earth, right? Jesus Christ lives in us. We are the body of Christ. When people see us, the church, they ought to see Christ, right? Does our presence show Christ so clearly to people that they have to choose one or the other? I didn't like that thought when it first came to me. Really. Do I so stand in front of people that they have to choose? They either get ready to kill me or they get ready to say, you know what, there must be something here. Hmm. I think most of us are milk toast. I'm not sure where that word came from, but it's just so descriptive. (laughs) I think that we mostly soppy little, we don't really do the job, frankly, most of the time. It's just true. I wish I could say I always do, but... I don't. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's actually a command. (laughs) It's not if you feel like it. (laughs) Do it. Do it. But it's also another thing. It's a measurement. 
They want to know how well you're doing with Christ. How much does your manner of life show the gospel of Christ? Do people really say either or? Do people get upset with you or get excited with you? It's a measurement. And it's a command. Paul also wrote to the Philippian church, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, this point comes when Jesus comes back. All right? We will all be changed. You've heard the Scriptures. You've read the Scriptures. We get completely changed. We get new, perfect bodies. We are all resurrected. Every person who has died in Christ is resurrected. Every person who is alive in Christ is given a new body. Everybody is resurrected at once. So if the resurrection of one man, Lazarus, caused this much issue... If the resurrection of Christ caused those issues, what happens when everybody who ever believed is resurrected all at once? Yeah, absolute ultimate division. <laughs> it's going to be complete. Absolute division. That's the time when their end is destruction. Or our citizenship is in heaven. That's it. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? We have to ask people that question. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. If you want life, if you want to live again after you physically die, you need Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? And people are going to be happy, <laughs> excited, Celebrating or not. <laughs> and really not. <laughs> They're going to be one or the other. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Let's pray.